Well, this has got to stop, I tell you. Got to stop. I can't afford it. It's not our fault, Shut Pearlie. Up. Six jobs in the last week and not one lousy penny. There's thousands of coppers in London, Pearly. You can't expect us to sort them out. They sorted you out enough, haven't they? Yeah, Pearly. What? Do you know what I think? What? I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I think somebody's getting inside information about our plans. Did you work that lot out for yourself, Morris? Yeah. Hear that, did you? Of course they're getting information from somewhere, you twit! Probably one of you lot grassing. Oh, no, 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 you no, know no, 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 no. That'd be very hurtful, I'll tell you that. That'd be very hurtful. Sting me right to the quick. The way I look after you fellas. Double bubble you get on Sundays. Who looks after your families when you go inside? Oh, you, you do, do yeah. yeah. I do, don't I? Fortnight's holiday each year you get on the Costa Brava. Luncheon vouchers, all free, all down to Larkin. Here, who paid to have your wife's suit shortened? You did, Pearly. I did, I did. Who fixed for your son to get a Gordon's down? You did, Pearl. Yeah. And who keeps you stocked up in the hard stuff? Oh, uh, you do. I do. And this is the way you repay me. Well, I'll tell you something for nothing. When I find out who it is who's grassing. <laughs> Goompod, the podcast guaranteed not to give you the screaming agdab. So I'm going to say that again. Sorry, the podcast guaranteed. Start again. The podcast guaranteed not to give you the streaming adabs. Streaming, Graham. I'm trying to say screaming adabs because Salas says it in the film. The podcast guaranteed not to give you the screaming ab abdab abd. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Goompod. <laughs> my my name is Tyler Adams, and joining me is returning guest, film academic Graham Brinaldi. Hello, Tyler. Thank I don't have the screaming abdabs. You're fine. The screaming ad. I can't say that. <laughs> just take a just take a run at it. Take a run at it. Screaming abdabs. There you go. Screaming abdabs. Right. So, <laughs> Graham. Um, Thank you for coming back because you were on last. In fact, you were on almost exactly a year ago talking about After the Fox. Correct. A very fine Peter Sellers film. And, and you've come back to talk about another very fine Peter Sellers film. Um, we're recording this on the 27th of July, 2023. As luck would have it, it's the first anniversary of the death of Bernard Cribbins, dear Bernard Cribbins. So what better way to pay tribute than talking about one of his best films? Uh, it, it's it's not necessarily his film. He, he, he's, would you say he's the he's not he's not would he would he be the co-star or is Lionel Jeffries the co-star, Graham? I think um, it's well, it's quite interesting on the opening credits that Sellers' name comes up first, hmm. and then Lionel Jeffries and Cribbins came up come up at the same time, but they also appear on the same screen as Sellers. So all three of them, hmm. um, you see them at the same time. So Sellers comes up, and then there's a couple of beats, and then Bernard and, and Lionel's names comes up. So, um, I think he's a co-star with Lionel Jeffries. Yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, so today we are talking about the 1963 film The Wrong Arm of the Law. Peter Sellers stars in what was essentially his penultimate black and white British comedy. Uh, I guess Heavens Above was was the last. By the time The Wrong Arm of the Law was released in March 63, Sellers was filming Dr. Strangelove, and within nine months, The Pink Panther would hit the cinemas. Uh, Sellers plays Pearly Gates, the self-assured head of a London crime syndicate whose legitimate business is within high-class ladies' fashion, where he masquerades as a Parisian couturier. Uh, that is the right word, isn't it? <laughs> Graham? <laughs> yes. I think so. Uh, Monsieur Jules. And he has impeccable society connections. However, Maison Jules is, of course, a front for Pearly Gates' more nefarious interests. And he employs a hapless gang, principally consisting of Graham Stark, Davy Kay, and John Junkin. When these three are conned into handing over the spoils of a daring postal van hijack to three Australians purporting to be policemen, and when six of Pearly's subsequent operations are stymied by the same trio of uniform-clad colonials, it is clear that this so-called IPO mob is seriously threatening Pearlie's livelihood. And not only his. A fellow crime boss, Nervous O'Toole, played by Bernard Cribbins, has been similarly hit, and the two criminal fraternities come together to try and decide how best to tackle this problem. Enter the ever-angular Lionel Jeffries as Nosy Parker, an ambitious, if bumbling, police inspector, and the eventual collaboration of the entire London Metropolitan Police with the Gates and O'Toole Syndicate to pull resources and catch the IPO mob. The wrong arm of the law reunites Sellers with his two-way stretch co-stars Cribbins and Jeffries, although Jeffries as Parker has dialed down the belligerence of two-way stretch's chief prison officer Kraut, and Cribbins as Nervous O'Toole is more worldly-wise than Lenny the Dip, but still, both films would easily make a perfect double bill. So, Graham, uh, why this film? What was it that made you want to talk about this film? This um, film has been a favourite of mine for many, many, many years, um, along with Two Way Stretch. And it's interesting thinking about those two films together because it's also um, the way that Roger Lewis um, came into the world of Peter Sellers. So I, I was looking at Roger Lewis's book and he mentions that um, when he was a young boy living in Wales, he was sick and he was at home and he was wrapped up in his mother's tartan traveling rug. He was eating custard creams. He was drinking Ribena through a straw and the television is on. And of course, there were probably only um, three channels uh, when he was doing this. And um, the double bill, two way stretch and the wrong arm of the law. And for a Peter Sellers fan, um, I mean, that's a perfect double bill. And for a British comedy film fan of the late 50s, early 60s, it's, it's a, it's, it is a mar marvellous um, double bill. Yep. And Roger Lewis goes on to say that, of course, central to both of those films was this man who he had never seen before, this actor called Peter Sellers. And he is, as I say, is the central character and everybody else seems to revolve around his orbit. And Roger Lewis went on to say that um, it was the moment when sort of he remembered that Pearly Gates, when he is Charles Jules, uh, the um, fashion designer, 
when he walks through, um, which is actually sort of like a draped curtain, he he walks through it, and on the other side, he um, becomes pearly gates. And of course, this is a transformation that is done without makeup, um, done without a costume change. It is just Seller's verbal dexterity, and also um, physical transformation as well. And I could see why that mm -hmm. would sort of stick in your mind. I wish you every happiness and my felicitations to the group. Clearly, the police have been here. To what? It's those delivery men. They're up to something. Where's the police now? Oh, they've gone. Gone? Why did you tell me about this before? In front of her ladyship. Where's the lads? Have they took them down a neck, have they? No. No? They just took away some bags. They looked like... Mailbags. They took away some mailbags? I saw them drive off. And they left the lads here? In your office. Hello. Um, also, I think it's, um, for me personally, I just, I've always found it quite a, it's very fast paced. It's very witty. Um, I think it's, that's probably helps because um, two of the main writers are Ray Gorton and Alan Simpson. And it's just got, it's just has, bucket loads, a plethora, I don't know how many words, of British comic actors um, appearing throughout um, the film. And um, it just, it, the, the, the pace just, just doesn't let up. And it just keeps going and going and going um, throughout. And um, Sellers, as Sellers was in those days, um, I mean, Sellers is, is just, it's just wonderful. Um, throughout, as is Lionel Jeffries, as is Bernard Cribbins. But then, I mean, we, we can talk about the others a bit later on. Uh, John Lemesere, is, 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 his performance is uh, absolutely perfect mm -hmm. as well. So I, I wanted to talk about, um, a, you know, a, a Sellers comedy film before Sellers became, as you mentioned yourself, you know, international stardom was, was there waiting for him at this time. And um, because he'd received great reviews as Quilty in Kubrick's Lolita. Yep. And as you mentioned, you know, Heavens Above would follow this. And then, of course, you have Strange Love and the Pink Panther uh, waiting um, in the wings. And then, of course, Sellers becomes the enormous international uh, film star. Um, there is something I did find out in there was a, an interview, there was a two part interview Sellers gave in 1962 with the uh, film critic Dillis Powell of the Sunday Times. Mm. And it's a two-part um, interview. And in the second part, he, he sort of maps out what he's going to be doing in 1962. So it's quite interesting to see um, what he did do and what he was planning on doing but didn't do. And it just seems... And it's Great, quite a, yeah. mm -hmm. a variety of um, things that Sellers had planned. So first of all, in 62, he mentions that he was about to, and I think it was... Um, filmed in about March or April of, of 62, uh, The Doc Brief. Yep. Um, and I assume you've seen, I, I would have presumed you've yes. seen The yep. Doc Brief. But um, so The Doc Brief, for those who haven't seen it, is a um, was originally a radio play written by John Mortimer, uh, Ron Paul, the Bailey fame. And in 1957, in that same year, there was a BBC uh, version of it as well with Michael Horden. Uh, television version, shall I say. And then in 58, 
it was um, a one-act um, theatre play as well. And in this, Sellers plays the defence counsel um, for the accused, which is played by Richard Attenborough. Um, I'd only, I hadn't, I hadn't seen it until... Um, Richard Attenborough, yeah, Richard Attenborough is most kind of, almost like a tryout for... Um, oh, uh, for, um, Billington Place. Billington Place, yes. yeah. It did, yes, which, yeah, I, yeah, I never thought of that, yeah, but now that you've said it. Um, and it is it is quite a, it is quite an interesting uh, piece um and if you if anyone now that we've mentioned it and you do go you want to see it um, there is an added bonus you um Beryl Reed and and David Lodge uh, spend most of their scenes just laughing their heads off uh, throughout the film <laughs> um and it, it, it's you you find yourself kind of laughing with them after a while. So it's quite infectious laughter between the two of them. So he was planning on doing that. He also said that he'd been offered um, to play Captain Hook in a film version of Peter Pan with Audrey Hepburn as Peter Pan and Hayley Mills would be Wendy. And then he also mentioned that he was, a, and after it, he was considering also, he was going to be making a British comedy film. And he said at, the, at this moment in time, it's called Wrong Arm of the Law. And he said it's a romp, very much like two-way stretch. And he also said that it's the kind of film that he feels like he has to make because it keeps him in touch with a certain section of the public. I can understand that. I can I see where he's coming from with sort of Wrong Arm yes. of the Law, two-way stretch, as yeah. opposed to something like Lolita. Um, and then, then for that matter, we move further on to something like Dr. Strangelove. Um, so... He said he was going to be doing that, but he also said that he was then considering um, going on the stage to play in uh, Bertolt Brecht's um, The Good Soldier Schweik. Oh, and okay. And he mentioned that that would have to be a limited run, though, due to everything else um, that he would be making. So he had lots and lots of plans going on. And, of course, with Sellers, though, because um, we'll come on to a film that he could have made um, that's sort of slightly connected to this film, um, he didn't make it um, because Sellers just goes off and does something completely um, different. Um, so he had all that planned in um, 1962 uh, with Heavens Above, of course. The, the story, just the, the Robin yeah. Hood film, I don't believe that ever got made, did it? Peter Pan. Peter Pan. Why did I say Robin Hood? Peter Pan. Peter Pan. No, it didn't. No. But would then, have been, that would have been intriguing with him as as Hook, though, wouldn't it? Oh, I think he would. I think he would have been marvelous as Hook. He yeah. he that would have been, he would have been perfect, perfect for Hook. Yeah. Um, and Audrey Hepburn, of course, would have been. You know, she's the right she, she's shape and everything, and um, she probably she would have been perfect as uh, Peter Pan mm. as well. It'd been interesting to see who he, who Sellers would have got as his Smee, possibly. Um, great, great Stark, probably. <laughs> but well, yes, he would have definitely found um, a role for um, Graham Stark, David Lodge, uh, Mario Fabrizzi. You know, yeah. get get all the gang back. As it, you know, so I, <laughs> I, I imagine that they probably would have been the Lost Boys or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I mentioned um, one of the reasons why I like the film is um, I, is the writing as well because I, I think there are some very very funny lines yes. um, throughout this film. But it was interesting when I was I was going I, I went through lots of reviews I, I trawled through the review the um, UK reviews of this film and um, when the Daily Telegraph um, reviewed it they said all hands to the script 
two to write the original story, two to write the original screenplay, and presumably, presumably another three to write the words. And it's interesting how, how it was passed from one, um, one sort of writing team to another writing team to another writing team. So you have the original story by a man called William Winston Smith, um, and um, Ivor Jay. I, William Winston Smith, I can only find one credit for him, and that is The Wrong Arm of the Law. Ivor Jay was the television critic for the Birmingham Mail, and he went on to become the script editor for Crossroads. They had a script editor on Crossroads. <laughs> I, mean, I imagine Noel Gordon was forever penciling through her script um, for every episode. Um, and then, of course, you... You have the original screenplay written by um, John Warren and Len Heath, who, of course, wrote the original story and screenplay to Two Way Stretch. Yes. So yes. you kind of see where this whole project was going mm. initially. And it's interesting because not only did they write Two Way Stretch, they also wrote the Crazy Gang's uh, Life's a Circus, which Lionel Jeffries is in, um, with Val Guest. They wrote the film directed by Val Guest, Up the Creek, ah, um, which mm. stars David Thomason, somebody called Peter Sellers as the bosun, yep. and Lionel Jeffries as a member of the crew, Steady Barker. And with the sequel, they wrote the sequel as well with Val Guest, who directed both films. But of course, Sellers, I gather, was shoot was had to shoot uh, The Mouse That Roared. Mm -hmm. So instead, Frankie Howard was brought in as a different uh, bosun. But Lionel Jeffries... Um, he uh, reprised his role and then of course you find that um, the main credit for the writers are ray gorton and alan simpson of course of hancock's half hour and steptoe fame and john antropus um and i mean i meant i just i could probably hand over to you regarding john antropus it's one thing i just like to say about john antropus he was living in a boarding house on the cromwell road in london and his landlady was Bill Kerr's mother. Bill Kerr, his, I thought you were going to say his landlady was Bill Kerr. Yeah, I mean, well, yes, <laughs> Bill Kerr was a very versatile actor. Yeah. And um, Bill Kerr, of course, who plays Coombsy, the head of the IPO, and of course, through Bill Kerr, he introduced John Antropus to Gorton and Simpson. And then, of course, you have associated London scripts. And he, John Antrimus gets to meet um, Johnny Spate. And I think they wrote for the Frankie Howard radio show. And then, of course, you meet somebody called Spike Milligan. Yeah. And he and we see John Antrimus on the television screen in, in one of the few surviving show called Fred's. Ah, OK. Um, Didn't and, know that. and he wrote, uh, he certainly wrote uh, or co-wrote a couple of goon shows and, um, of course, The Bed Sitting Room. And he he's one of the last sort of living links with the goons now, really, because he's still going strong at, at 90 years old. And a wonderful head of hair as well. Hasn't he? <laughs> wonderful head of hair. Um, so, just at this point, you, you mentioned Gauntlet Simpson. So I think it was the year before that Steptoe and Son screened for the first yes. time. And it was an immediate success, pretty much. And one thing I picked up watching this film, I don't know whether I'm sort of projecting this onto it, but I detected, and okay, it's 1963, where, you know, things have moved on from 1958, 1959, 1960. I detected a slightly coarser edge to some of the, the lines, some of the humour. Um, there was a there was a line towards the end, which I think we'll come to later, when with uh, 
between Pearly Gates and uh, Ziggy Schmaltz. Oh, I know the line you mean. Yes. Yeah, because I, I did a, I had to, I did a double, I because I hadn't seen the film for a while. Yeah, I did a double take. Yeah, and, and played it back because I thought, did he just say that? Yeah. <laughs> But we'll come on to that. We'll, yeah. we'll leave everybody hanging. And then, of course, yeah. we won't mention it later on. <laughs> What's the line? What's the line? Um, but it's also interesting with John Antrobus, of course, because um, he also wrote The Big Job, which is a carry-on film, you know, in name. It's a wonderful now, can, film. That's interesting you say that, because I'm, <clears throat> I'm on my notes here, because I was puzzling about this earlier, because I said that this was more or less the penultimate, Sellers' penultimate, black and white British comedy, romp, caper, whatever you want to call it. When was the last proper black and white British comedy film? And I, I was thinking, is it the big job from 1965? Right, we're going to set up once more. There's the bank. There's the high street. Now remember, those doors are shut at three o'clock prompt. So everything depends on split second timing. You've only got to do what you've been told and this will be a piece of cake. Right, now we'll make dead sure you know what you're doing. Bookie. I take up my position here at seven minutes to three. When you arrive, I cut the telephone wires to the bank. Right, then you follow me straight in. And while I'm attending to the cashier, you get ready to blow the strong room door. Right. Dipper. I park the getaway car across the street at six minutes to three here. And when you arrive, I damp the burglar alarm bell on the wall there. Right. Myrtle. At four minutes to three exactly, I drop you outside the bank, George. Right, then you come straight back here and wait for us. That's it then. Now remember, no slip-ups, no mistakes. Good luck. Tomorrow, that's the day. This is the big job. Oh, you're gonna, I'm gonna have to rack my brain now to think of that. Yeah. Oh my! You know, and I'm wondering, and Such then is um, the wrong box. They're in color. They're, yeah, because I was thinking, was the was the premature death of Mario Fabrizzi the final nail in the coffin of the? Because you can't have a black and white British comedy without Mario Fabrizzi, really, can you? You, so. com- you fascist communist, yes. I've thrown you with that, haven't I? That's the re- that's the reason why the big job is a great um, film. As well, it's a it's a lovely um, British comedy. Um, I'm going to go away and have to and, and, and trawl through that. Um, and of course, Antrobus, of course, was then brought in to help with rewrites for the fiendish plot of uh, Fu Manchu. Yeah, Fu Manchu, yes. But then everybody was involved in the fiendish plot of Fu Manchu. It seems. Well, David Lodge was brought in to direct it at one point. <laughs> but he was in Cockershell Heroes. So. He was in Cockershell Heroes. But he's not in the wrong arm of the law. Um, no, I looked out for him. He wasn't there. No, and I was—I looked into this, and I was—I was looking at his filmography, and I was thinking, why? You know, because it was perfect. This is a perfect film for David Lodge to appear in mm. at some point. I think he may have been shooting because it came out at the end of 1962. Norman Wisdom's on the beat, and he oh. has quite. And he, he has quite, he's, he's got quite an important role throughout that film as the policeman who is, you know, literally tearing his hair out, um, having to deal with Norman Wisdom. Da- the, David Lodge as a policeman. Such such range. <laughs> <laughs> he's very good in Norman Beat. <laughs> I've never seen it. Um, 
so you've got you know so you have all these um three you know so you've got this young sort of fledgling writer john Adjibus, with ray gorton and alan simpson um producing um you know comedy gold uh throughout and i gather that john Adjibus said that when they received john warren and len heath sort of um screenplay it was it was very bare and he, he said we, we they sort of added the flesh to it to, with you know with the situation to develop the characters more etc um working on the script in that way of course it's directed by um cliff owen um before the wrong arm of the law um had been released uh, the film that he directed previous to that which is a excellent british a oh, crime film. I know what you're going to say. I know what oh. you're going to say. I love it so much. I have watched it three times in the last three years. It's it's a prize of arms. Correct. With you go uh, into round two. <laughs> thank you. With Stanley Baker, with Tom Bell. Yeah. And uh, and um, a young Stephen Lewis, Blakey from On the Buses. Yes. <laughs> and Patrick McGee as well. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. So, uh, so... I'd like to talk. Uh, I really like to talk about Sellers and, and and Lionel Jeffries, if I may. Indeed, I'd like to too. I think because it's interesting. I'm intrigued by the whole relationship between the two men. Yes, yeah, so, I mean it's with Sellers with this film. Of course, he's in his element because, sort of, Roger Lewis has pointed out he he's playing the leader of a gang, as in Two Way Stretch, and with this film, The Wrong Arm of the Law, and of course, the film we talked about previously after the fox so he is the center of attention and everybody else as i mentioned earlier is you know around his orbit um and it allows him of course playing charles jules and also pearly gates to you know show that sort of quick change sort of use of accents that he has mm. and of course is uh, charles jules a sort of dry run for clouseau um, in a way, I mean, you probably would know better, you know, listening to it, how close the two well, accents are. Seller supposedly claimed that he had studied specifically the Parisian accent for Monsieur Jules. Um, whereas I think he was just kind of just playing a, you know, comedy French accent <laughs> for Clouseau. Although, of course, the accent, the Clouseau accent was to become ever more mangled. With subsequent films yes but no i i got the feeling and i and i haven't put on the pink panther to compare but from memory I, i've got a feeling that um jules is um is is much much less of a comedy french accent than than clouseau's and he's rather more sophisticated yes indeed as well hmm. so you have sellers in his element and also at the same time you have lionel jeffries in his element. So as you mentioned in your introduction, you know, he plays this sort of hapless, pompous, uh, promotion hungry um, inspector. I love the fact that he get you finally find out his his, his first name, you know, Inspector Fred uh, Nosey uh, <laughs> Parker as well. And um, a lot of the reviews that I read, they always seem to point out like the shape of Lionel Jeffrey's head so they were either calling him egg scold, egg shaped face, uh, but although one review I can't remember which one it was where it was from, but they did say they had a face of a sucked lozenge, which I thought <laughs> was uh, rather good. Yeah, uh, yeah. So Sellers and Jeffries, as we know, had worked together 
in on up the creek and two-way stretch but of course they had appeared on stage together in brouhaha uh, yes which ran at the adelphi from the august 58 to february 59 so and and by, and by the way sorry to cut in there yeah that's why when you mentioned earlier that he was telling dillis pat was dillis powell wasn't it he was telling yes. dillis powell that he was possibly going to be treading the boards again i don't believe that because didn't he basically say i'm through with acting on the stage after brouhaha i think i think he felt it such a wretched experience that he he said you know that's it for me i'm going to just stick to films from now on he wasn't the only one who found it a wretched experience mm. um so when we were putting this you know putting this together um i contacted uh ty jeffries oh yes composer uh musician and son of lionel jeffries and one of the things i asked ty was what was the, his father's relationship like with peter sellers and he mentioned brouhaha and said that's when things sort of started between the two of them um because both they both he said you know both of them are very competitive actors and they were also both jealous of each other's individual talents and sellers throughout the run would be forever upstaging, doing bits of business. Whereas for Lionel, um, the performance was sacrosanct. You know, you, once you've got it right and it works, that's what you should be doing. So there was this problem all the time with sellers being very unpredictable on the stage. And um, but um, Ty did say that there was this fraternal bond between the two of them, away from the stage, away from the film set. They spent a great deal of time to, in each other's company and in their family's company as well. So they would have lunch, dinner, go to parties. Uh, Peter Sellers was a regular visitor at the uh, Jeffreys household. And according to Roger Lewis, um, with Wrong Arm of the Law, I gather Sellers said uh, about two weeks into filming, he's turned around to Lionel Jeffreys and said, Lionel, um, I think I've um, made a mistake. It's your film. I've chosen the wrong part. Because Sellers was given the choice of playing Holy Gates or um, Nosy Parker. And he went with playing, um, as we know, with, with Pearly Gates. And as John Antrobus said as well, when, when they were, took over the script, um, they knew that they were writing for Sellers. Um, he was already on board so they, so they could, they, you know, they could make sure everything was, would fit. Uh, with Peter Sellers, so so, um, so if if Sellers had chosen the Parker role, who who would have been Pearly Gates? Because Pearly Gates is the star of the film, really. Pearly Gates is the, I mean, yeah, Nosy Parker is is. It's is interesting. I character. Asked, but, I asked that to I asked that to Ty, and Ty said his father could have played Pearly Gates. He could see he could see his father playing Pearly Gates, um, but I don't think he would have done. Um, they fit, I mean, they fit perfectly the roles that they play um, yeah. in the film. But it's also, uh, it's mentioned in, so this, so, so so Ty sort of said there was this sort of professional rift between the two of them. Uh, when they were, they, they, I mean, the, the two, when they're on screen together, they, they're just magic. You can see they love playing off each other. Um, and they're listening intently to each other. And the, the, there is just, it is, once again, comedy gold when these two actors um, come together. Bonjour, Inspector. 
Oh, cool, Blimey. Pearly Gates. I'm delighted to meet you, but I think there must be some mistake. My name is Charles Jeurs. No, don't give me that. When I took you in in 1948, you was Pearly Gates, and Pearly Gates you'll always be. Inspector, 1948 was a long time ago. Things change. Now, look, mate, just because you sell a few women's frocks in the West End, that does not mean to say that things have changed. I do not sell women's frocks in the West End. I sell gowns, mate. I don't care what you sell. We're on to you. We know it's a front. One of these days, we'll find out where you're getting your material from. Then we'll have you. You're being watched, you know. Now, you listen to me, nosy. Don't call me nosy. You was nosy when you pulled me in in 1948, and nosy you'll always be. I'm legitimate now, nosy. I made 168,000 knickers selling frocks last year, gowns, I mean. Yeah, well, if that isn't criminal, I'd like to know what is. Now, come on, state your business. I'm a very busy man. I haven't got time to chit-chat to the likes of you. Got a proposition to put to you. Bribery? Right. I want two sergeants and a tape recorder in here immediately. I'm not trying to bribe you, mate. I don't carry loose change around with me. Stand by. Go on, I'm listening. I've got a lot of work to do today. Such as catching the IPO mob. Such as catching the IPO mob. Hey. And in Lewis's book, he mentioned that Sellers' personal assistant, one of his personal, because he had many, didn't he, over the years? Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, Hattie Stevenson. Yeah. Um, she said that um, Sellers would organise a, a row or an argument, especially with Lionel Jeffries. He did it on two-way stretch, and he did it even more so on the wrong arm of the law. He said that he was always trying to put Lionel Jeffries down. And I think that it must have come to a head at that point, because, of course, they don't work together again until Sellers oh, well, put out the Zend olive Zend branch. Zender. Prisoner, yeah, Prisoner mm. of Zender. And of course, then he was phoning, wasn't he phoning Lionel at night and everything, mm. um, asking his opinion, but on, you know, on the filming and everything. But as pointed out, Lionel was no longer competition for Sellers by that no. point. I mean, Lionel's career had, had changed and become a very successful uh, film director. Uh, Railway Children, Amazing Mr. Blunt, and two of my yes. favourites. Yeah. yeah. They could have made another film together, not long after The Wrong Arm of the Law. There was yeah. a possibility of the two of them making another film together. And um, do you know what that film was? Go on. Uh, so Sellers had had his heart attack on oh, Billy Wilder's Kiss Me Stupid. Mm. And he contacted uh, Ray Gorton and Alan Simpson. And um, he asked them, do you have a sort of quiet little story for me? And they said, well, funnily enough, we do. So they arranged to they to meet Sellers at his home in Elstead in Surrey. Mm -hmm. And they took the screenplay along and Sellers started reading it and he started falling about laughing. Um, which is funny enough, when I when I when I read that, I it took me straight back to when Neil Simon visited Sellers with After the Fox. And he um, just fell about laughing yeah, as though yeah. it was the funniest thing he'd ever read. In his life, and Alan Simpson said that Sellers was giggling so much they thought he was going to have another heart attack. <laughs> um, Sellers said, "We have to make this film," and um, then he said that um, I know who we can get to play the other leading role in the film. Uh, the film is the Spy with a Co with a Cold Nose. Oh yes, sorry, yes, I, I had read about that. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and. So um, Spy with a Cold Nose, um, a spy um, fits a listening device to a dog, which is given as a present to the prime, uh, the president of um, 
the Soviet Union. And um, so when Sellers said he was, this was marvellous and he was going to do it, he said, I, I will play the vet and we'll get Lionel to play the spy. And then Sellers being Sellers apparently changed his mind and said, no, Lionel will play the vet and I'll play the spy. But he, and he just kept flitting between, one, uh, between, between the two roles. Um, but everything started moving forward and Gorton and Simpson were really happy about this. Sellers even hired a studio and then they were called in for another meeting and they said, oh, we're just probably going to um, sign the contract now, work out the finances and everything. Uh, Sellers wasn't there, but it was, they were informed that he was no longer part of the project. He would left it because all along he was going to be, he was under contract to shoot What's New Pussycat. And um, and Sellers being Sellers just said, oh, it's a contract, I can negotiate around it. And he, he thought that he could be able to make both films. And even though he'd walked away from it, he was still occasionally coming back saying, oh, no, 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 we can make this film, we can make this film. But of course, in the end, um, he um, he doesn't. Um, so the spy with a cold nose, Lionel Jeffries does star as the uh, spy. And the vet is played by um, a man of a thousand accents, none of them his own, Lawrence Harvey. And um, <laughs> as Alan Simpson said, he said, you know, so we made it with Lionel and Lawrence Harvey. We could have made it with Sellers and, and Lionel. It would have been a much better film. Uh, Lionel Jeffries did, was nominated for a Golden Globe for his performance in that mm. film. Mm. Um, he lost to the uh, great... Alan Arkin in uh, The Russians Are Coming, The Russians. Oh. So speaking to Ty, um, he did tell me that um, he learned himself a lot about film techniques by just sitting watching films with his father, which made me then ask Ty, oh, did you as a family sit and watch Lionel's films? And um, he said, yes, um, we did as a family. We would sit down and watch the films. And of course, a lot of actors don't like to watch their performance. Yeah. Um, but Lionel was happy to do so. So I said to Ty, I said, oh, did he um, criticise his own performance? Did he say, you know, maybe I'm, I didn't emphasise the right word there or I should have said that line in a different way. And he said, oh, yes, he, he did critique. Um, he didn't critique his own performance. He critiqued everyone else's. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is rather interesting. So... I was to look when I looked into the reviews, of course, the, the reviews review the film, but they were also reviewing the performances. And I would love to have been a fly on the wall. I don't know. I mean, did Sellers read his reviews? Um, uh, if he did, I, it would have been quite interesting to have been in the room with him. Well, probably stood, I probably best to stand in the doorway to probably make a quick escape. Um, they do praise sellers in the reviews but it um more and more of them though seem to single out um lionel jeffries as the um as the sort of main performance in the film i, I can give you some examples uh the daily telegraph said peter sellers a casual throwaway sellers almost slumming you might say but its prize exhibit is lionel jeffries who's seen stealing here amounts to grand larceny um the evening news said this um about Lionel Jeffries this time he surpasses himself to outshine Peter Sellers which takes some doing but you do feel that the style he won't mind the success of Jeffries or Bernard Cribbins or the rest of the other supporting players 
the um, the Daily Mail said all we needed for a spring tonic was a new Peter Sellers picture, but what it turns out to be is a new Lionel Jeffries picture. Sellers steps aside and leaves the belly last to Lionel Jeffries, police inspector. For long enough, we have praised him as a supporting actor. Let us now proclaim him a star. Uh, the Daily Cinema just said Lionel Jeffries, performance of his career. The Guardian, it's a very funny performance for once stealing the thunder um, from Sellers. Uh, the Financial Times, Lionel Jeffries must be singled out. His silences are as explicit as diagrammatic expositions on the working of the brain. His indignation is that of a man subjected to one or too many of fate's appalling pleasantries. Even his walk is an outraged quiver, and so on and so forth. Um, and the Sunday Express said, Jeffries has been given the lion's share of the film, result, stardom, suggests Gorton and Simpson could have a hit TV series based around the lovable inspector. Hmm. Well, can I can I slightly disagree? Yeah, you can slightly disagree. Because I of the two films, I am I, I favour two way stretch. Yeah, yeah. And I think I feel that Jeffrey's performance was better in two way stretch. It's a different type of character. But Okay, maybe the Jeffrey's character in Wrong Arm of the Law was more comedic. Um, but I just felt he, he gave a better performance in Two Way Stretch, personally. And and I felt Sellers was stronger in, in Wrong Arm of the Law. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you. I think Abon Sellers is stronger in the Wrong Arm of the Law than he is in Two Way Stretch. Mm. Um, I think Jeff, I mean, Jeffrey, they, as you say, they are very different roles. And the Difference, he sort of brings different nuances to both uh, performances. I, I, you know, with those reviews, I mean, there are lots of reviews that, you know, saying that Sellers is marvellous in the film. Some people think that he's sort of treading water in the film. They want him, they want him to be doing something else, uh, maybe because of seeing him as Quilty um, in Lolita. They, they may, may be expecting mm. something different. Uh, from sellers they kind of feel like they've you know we've seen this before um but i i i believe that i mean sellers is the driving force um throughout this film and um he's pitch perfect but then so is lionel jeffries yeah as well. and bernard cribbins in you know bernard cribbins is not in it as as, as you know as, as much as, as as the other two but um yeah, well, I, I i think this is one of bernard cribbins greatest comedy performances in this it's a better role for him than lenny <clears throat> was it lenny price in two-way stretch was that his, yeah, his sounds right. um and i just love i love the little ticks little twitches and the and with the, nervous o'toole uh, yes because yeah. it's interesting when when there's this there's the scene in the rolls royce hello Perry. how's the rack trade huh you're making plenty of money are you i was you i've been making a few bob up until now. Strange, neither of us making much money recently, isn't it? Very strange indeed, so it is. Mm. Might have something to do with all the coppers that are about these days, huh? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You designed any good coppers lately, Pearlie? Mean it? Nothing. I was just thinking, you know, uh, you being in the business like. Well, anybody can get hold of a load of coppers' uniforms, can't they, nervous? Don't you start accusing me. Do you deny, then, that some of your mob have been dressing up as coppers? What are you on about? Look, three of my lads was clobbered yesterday by three of your hooligans dressed up like rossers. 
My staff are not hooligans. And furthermore, they do not dress up as coppers. Don't give me that. Look, I never had any trouble before. I form a syndicate with you, and the very first job goes for a burden. Well, what am I supposed to think? You're the only bloke who knew about it. Do me a favour. I've had six jobs go out the spout this week. 120,000 nickel already. Six? Can you prove it? Of course I can prove it. Slow down, for God's sake. Where do you think you are? Brands Hatch! He's speed mad, you know. And um, he's so nervous he's wearing his seatbelt. <laughs> I love. And also made pearly gates. He's obviously made pearly gates wear his seatbelt as well. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, I think he calls his driver. He's, he, he says, what do you think you are on Brand's hatch? <laughs> through, throughout, there's always nervous ticks. Yeah. Especially when um, Sellers announces as pearly gates when they're on the aeroplane that um, this is my maiden flight solo flight. <laughs> And he's taking all those pills and everything. I mean, he really is nervous. Um, it, it, during the, um, the the syndicate scene, when ham- when Sellers is hammering the table, he's flinching away. <laughs> I mean, it's just throughout. It's just it's, 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 um, and also on the roller coaster as well, which will come to the Big Dipper, which we can come to yes a bit later on. But uh, yeah, I can see where the reviews were coming from. Um, I, but I, I believe that every everyone is strong in this film. Yeah. Um, which I think we should move on to Nanette Newman. And yes. why not? Yeah. Because, uh, Lovely Nanette Newman. As, as um, Pearlie's duplicitous girlfriend, mm. uh, Valerie. There's a plot thing here. Do you think it's revealed? I mean, are we, are we allowed to do plot spoilers? <laughs> Well, we're going to spoil it at the end anyway. Um, so, yeah. But do you think it's revealed too early that she is um, one who is uh, giving all the aid yeah. to I, the IPO? Yeah. I, I do. Yes. Far too early. It's way too early. It, it, it doesn't allow you to guess or anything, you know, even allow any kind of, you know, put your best Poirot on to try and work out who's doing it. Mm-hmm straight away but then again you know the film does as i say does move at a hectic pace but um the next newman in a way the net newman i mean she's absolutely she's i mean so beautiful in this film yes beautiful um but away from the set of course um she she takes on the uh sophia loren mm. or the jeanette scott role. yeah and I, it's, it is one of the most, I've always found this one of the most strangest stories in the strange world of Peter Sellers, that Peter's wife, Anne, was in the room, I gather, when he phoned Brian Forbes and said, um, I think we should swap wives, um, I'll divorce Anne, and then, I'll, um, and then I can marry Lynette. And as Anne said herself, she said we just sort of had to just sort of indulge him through these things. But I gather that he did for Sellers. He thought that he he loved her, and I love the way that Brian Forbes dealt with it. Though. Yeah, yeah. Because I think he said to him, "Oh, Peter, darling, um, I don't think we can do that." And also, with there's the children to consider. And then Sellers replied, "Oh, you can always see the children." Um, and then, of course, he just starts the same thing that he did with, you know, with, with Sophia Loren bombarding. And I gather he kept buying Nanette Newman furs and jewels. And the, the best one of all is he turned up to meet her at the London airport in an E-type Jag. 
mm. and handed her the keys and said, "This the card's yours. It's registered in your name." Yeah. And Brian Falls has also explained has, has explained that he thinks that sellers, in a way, wanted their domestic stability that they had. And he mentioned that if you admired something, so if you were looking in a shop window of something and you said, oh, I'd, I'd really like one of those, but obviously I don't think I should spend the money. Sellers the following day would send his chauffeur, you know, assistant, Bert Mortimer. Bert, around. Yeah. Mm. So I gather it was, um, so I think he listed things. Brian Forbes said there was a Hasselblad um, slide projector Next day it arrived. He there was a camera. He, I mean, I was actually thinking that you could get to the point where you could just ask for anything in front of sellers, and you know, <laughs> and you could just play him and see and see all these things arriving. But then he would do strange things. He invited them to dinner at Mont in Monte Carlo. He drove all the way from Italy, and the food and everything was wonderful. They said Brian Forbes said that on their plates were beautifully wrapped presents, and inside were expensive gifts that definitely come from expensive shops. And then there was, of course, the time he invited them onto his yacht, and they for a holiday, and they arrived. Uh, Brian Forbes and Annette Newman, and uh, Sellers wasn't there. And this was, uh, I gather, a six-berth yacht had a captain. It was stocked with vintage Don Perignon, had everything that you needed. And Sellers just left a note saying, um, I've gone to, uh, I've, Bert and I have gone to Vienna to learn how to play the zither. And um, regarding rega regarding the maps, the brown bits of the land, uh, the bits of the sea. Yeah. And <laughs> They just then had a holiday and, in the, and they just said that every morning they, the captain would say, where would you like to go to today? It's... It's, OK, I'm sorry. Sellers was obviously doing all right for himself, but he wasn't the Sultan of Brunei. Where was this money coming from, this limitless? Well, I gather all the, I, I'm assuming that all of this was throughout the 60s. Yeah. After, I, I would say probably from Pink Panther onwards. Right. Yeah. yeah. OK. So he was still doing it post this film. And of course, yeah. he worked with Nanette again. Well, no, he didn't work with her, but they were both in the wrong box. And there was another thing that he, there was a figurine that reminded him of her and he sent it to her. Yeah. And of course, she also coaxed him. She she dealt with his black moods and she coaxed him twice, stopped him from, he was going to shoot himself. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and also, they ended up in that role that, to Brian and Nanette ended up in that role that also Neil Simon and his wife were in, where uh, Brit would go because during you know after the Fox she would go to see Neil Simon and his wife to get away from Sellers, and I gather that she would go and visit Nanette Newman and uh, Brian Forbes to get away from Sellers, and um, Nanette Newman would say that you really need to divorce him. Then of course sellers would arrive. He'd be all apologetic, you know, be acting like a little boy sort of thing. And then Brit would get back in the car, and he would just transform back, mm. um, you know, into the way he was before. Um, and I, I, I think Roger Lewis said that um, I think they deserved. A, I think he said something along the lines that they deserved a medal for sticking with sellers longer than most. Mm -hmm. Should we talk about the film before we talk about the film? I just want to mention. It's a bit of a fool's errand because there's the famously there's an there's an there's an appearance by an uncredited Michael Caine. Yes. 
but no one can actually ever find him, can they? I certainly couldn't. Um, I looked into this, and they're, they're obviously on the with the internet, and there is a chap who's got a has a still, and says this is Michael Caine. So the fairground sequence in Battersea, mm. um, just as the policemen are about to get onto the carousel. Um, there is a policeman without a hat and if you freeze frame it you kind of think oh it looks a bit like Michael Caine because he has the same hair as Michael Caine um, I freeze framed my um, copy and um, at this end we all had a look and um, we dug out a picture of Michael uh, Michael Caine from around about the publicity one of his 10 by 8s from the yeah. 60s that period and kind of went yeah it's the hair but I'm not sure it's him. <laughs> I'm really not sure it's him. Yeah. He could be anywhere in that film. I know. And he could be cut in the film. But do go and have a look, everyone. Do go I, and have I will, I'm going to as well. Yeah, because I spent most of the film not taking notes, just looking out. Because I was thinking if I look down at my pad, I'll miss oh, did, Michael Caine. Did you spot Billy Murray? No, but I know he's in it. Yes, I read he was in it. But which, where, where was he? So Billy Murray, uh, Billy Murray, of course, who went on to become Don Beach, the uh, in the bill, crooked, yes, in the bill, the crooked policeman in the bill. So no wonder he was in the wrong arm of the law. Um, Billy Murray, of course, he his fees for drama school were played uh, paid by the Cray twins, little uh, piece oh. of boy there. So when there's the sind- syndicate meeting, and um, everyone, they're all in the room, all the crooks. Um, there's a point where I think some they, they're shouting out speech, speech. Oh yeah, early mm-hmm. to speak. Around about that area, if you pause, you'll see a young Billy Murray. Oh, okay. I right. I remember listening to an episode of Just a Minute years ago. I'm talking probably in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. Okay, and one of the I remember one of the um, subjects was the long arm of the law and paul merton was given it to, to to talk on for a minute and he started talking about the film the wrong arm of the law and saying how it was a terrific film and he loved it very much and then parsons said oh i was in that film and merton actually questioned him and said i don't think you were this is my <laughs> memory anyway i just remember paul merton yeah, Nicholas Parsons was quite insistent that he'd been uh, a policeman in Wrong Arm of the Law. And Paul Merton was saying, well, no, you're n- no, I don't remember seeing you in that. Paul, a correct challenge. <laughs> Four seconds, the Long Arm of the Law, starting now. In 1963, Peter Sellers made a marvellously comic film written by... And Paul Merton, speak as the whistle went, gained that extra point. He's now in the lead ahead of Clement Freud, Linda Smith and Graham Norton in that order. And I'll give a bonus point to anybody who can say another person who was in that film, The Long Arm of the Law. Nicholas Parsons. Yes, you've got no bonus points. Yes. <laughs> I mean, nominally, Peter Sellers was the star. <laughs> you stole it from under his nose. No, I challenge you. I don't think you were in Wrong Arm of the Law. I had a very small part as a policeman in that. Did you? Wrong yes, Arm of the Law? In The Long Arm of the Law. He was yes. the long arm of the police. <laughs> It was one of the great arm actors of Are the you, British... I was playing one of the long arms of the law. Are you sure you're not mixing up with two-way stretch? No. I think he should lose a point for patronising the chairman there. Are you sure? Now, have you had your dinner, Nicholas? <laughs>
Um, and he's not even, he's not at, on IMDb as uncredited, Nicholas Parsons, and he's certainly not visible in the film. So I think he's mixed it up with um, Too Many Crooks or something like that, which he was in. Oh, he's, yeah, he's not a policeman in Too Many Crooks. Well, I don't know. He's, he's mixed it up. He's mixed it up. Um, yes. But, but uh, anyway. I think if, if, if Nicholas Parsons had, had, had uttered even one line, he would definitely be on IMDb. Yeah. Somebody would have spotted him. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's silly old Nicholas. Losing it. Um, <laughs> so should we should we whip through this film? Not whip yes, through, but we'll, 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 we'll talk about what happens. So um, we've got we've got the central three, and I think John Junkin's a bit hard done by in this because Graham Stark and Davy it's Davy K, isn't it? Davy K. They both get credits; they're credited. But John Junkin, he's the third member of the the principal gang, and he does he's uncredited. What yes, I that? find that very strange as well that John Junkin doesn't receive. Um, a credit. His character kind of reminds me a little bit like sort of a Bernard Breslau mm. type character. But um, so, of course, it's set up at the beginning with the IPO with um, the three Australian actors, Bill Kerr, as I mentioned earlier, Ed Devereaux, who, of course, was the uh, father in Skippy, yep. and uh, Reg Lai. Um, and I, I, Reg Lai throughout. Um, the film is obsessed. He seems to be obsessed with this country and royalty. Um, he's always he's playing with his snow globes or his, his, <laughs> his carriage and everything. Um, we we discover that they they are bogus um, policemen, the IPO, and um, and you keep seeing various scenes where um, they take the loot away from Pearlie's gang. Um, I do love the fact that when the cat burglar. I do love the way he takes the other earring. Yes. Um, yes. Obviously, I watched that again, and I watched it more than once, that bit, and the, he's obviously has the earring in his mouth before he puts it. <laughs> yes, we, we, we're led to believe that he's maybe going a bit, being a bit inappropriate with the sleeping yes. woman, sort of nuzzling her cheek, and then we see that he's, no, he's just been gently tugging her earring off her ear. <laughs> with his mouth so yeah we we so we so then pearly of course discovers um the fact that um there's something going on and there's a, i just love the wonderful sequence where it's him and nanette newman romancing each other and oh yeah 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 uh, thought we thought we was going out twisting Tell me about it. Is it the shop? No, nah, it's not the shop. 
The old rag trade's making a fortune. Got Arnold dead worried. Was doing his nut at Ascot last week. He goes full sort of Kenneth Connor in that scene because he oh, does yes. say four. He does a he does a magnificent four, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. And then he goes on about the old war wound. Because he mentions the twist again, because he said, oh, I thought we were going to call off in a light twist. <laughs> he says, we've got, I've got things going around in here that would make May Grey drop his pipe. That is a perfect, perfect line. And also the way they drop in lines, they still mention about, you know, the dressmaking and everything, because he mentions that um, Norman Hartnell's dead worried um, at Ascot, that, you know, he's going to do better um, than me. Um, but... She, and one of the reviews for Nanette Newman, um, this was Kitty Weekly, said she's quite a dish. And uh, I concur with that. She's quite a dish. But she says the romantic dish. asides are snappy without being too sexy. Mm. Mm. I imagine that um, when she, she probably kept one foot on the floor when she was on top of him. <laughs> like a snooker player. Yes, like a snooker player. <laughs> do um. Then, of course, you have the meat that you have, as we mentioned earlier, Bernard Cribbins as Nervous O'Toole. Pearly Gates has a meeting with him in the back of his Rolls Royce. And then, of course, they decide that they need to have, um, what's it, what is it, an extraordinary meeting of the syndicate. Mm-hmm. And I'd love, I just love that Sellers takes out that little book that obviously has all the rules and regulations. Regulations, yep. Yeah. It, it does, it, I mean... Uh, it did feel for me that um, that we were turning, we were moving into "I'm all, I'm all right, Jack" um, territory uh, with this, with with all the subsections. Do you think it was Sellers who mentioned that I had to put an advertisement in the Times and it said, "Come home, Fred mm. is forgiven." Mm. That sounds like the sort of thing Sellers would have inserted. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, and then this lovely little moment at the end of that scene where you know they, they've dealt with the business, and then nervous is he, he go. I think Pearly asks him, "How's the wife?" And then he says, "Oh, would you, would you like to see photographs of the wife and the kids?" And it's just a lovely little moment between the two of them where he they do seem to be interested, um, as though they have another life away from the you know away from the world of um, crime. Yes. Yeah. No, that was. I wondered that almost. That almost seemed to me like it was um, sort of tacked on, ad libbed at the end of that scene. That the two of them just sort of improvised that. Because it's, it's just a lovely moment. A lovely little uh, human moment. Very yeah, it's very human, very gentle. Hmm. Uh, but before they have the meeting, of course, they have Pearly has his film night, and um, where he, where of course he has um, gone to the jewelry shop and has placed the camera inside the case, and then he's showing his film uh, to his gang. And then, of course, he says, um, you know, next week he's got a series of educational training films uh, with Rafifi, uh, followed by the day they robbed the Bank of England, and, of course, uh, the wonderful uh, the League of Gentlemen as well, which I think one of, them, one of the gang says, oh, that's a good movie. Yeah, OK, so in this in this universe... How does the League of Gentlemen exist as a film? Because Nanette Newman is in the League of Gentlemen. Yes, and what, uh, Brian Forbes. Well, Brian Forbes, yeah. Brian Forbes, yes, is in it as well. But how does that? Well, maybe they only maybe they only have the some maybe they only have it on eight mil, 
and uh, <laughs> selected scenes from the League of Gentlemen. Can, can I just say as well, talking about sellers with friends, as I often do, and, and back to Richard Attenborough, and I love Richard Attenborough, don't get me wrong, but I could easily have swapped out Richard Attenborough with Sellers in the League of Gentlemen, and I think Sellers would have been brilliant in that role. Do you think? I do you know. Here's one for you. I think Sellers could have probably played nearly all of the roles in the League of Gentlemen. Probably, yeah. He well, yeah. The Nigel Patrick yeah. role, yeah. Roger Lipsy. Yes, the the, uh, the Terence Alexander. Jack Hawkins, of course. Maybe not the Norman Bird character. He's a bit. He's a bit. I mean, Norman Bird is was born to play that that sort of role. And the Kira. And what about the Kira Moore character? Of course, is. Uh, no, I don't think Sellers would have been up for that role. Particularly, he might have played the Oliver Reed cameo. <laughs> <laughs> the well, yes, he, but he kind of does a version of that in. Um, oh, you'll know that you'll know the title of the film. He's only in the one scene uh, on the seafront. Oh, um, a day at the beach. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> so they follow that. And of course, because um, no, Nosy Parker hasn't really arrived at this no. point. Um, and then, of course, he's there when he catches uh, Davy Kay and Graham Stark. And there's a bit of fisticuffs and they give him an enormous black eye. One of them says, I have a, a leeches are a good thing for that, Inspector. It's coming up nicely. <laughs> One of the best scenes in the in the whole film is the delegates meeting. The whole crime syndicate coming together. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you have Nervous O'Toole flinching every time the hammer. Um, and then we have the uncredited Dennis Price his educated earnest, confidence mm-hmm. trickster, <laughs> Lemmington Spa, and other well-known water holes. Um, and, and and also the, the Marion Stone is in the front row. Yeah. Marion Stone, of course, in, I, I suppose she must be in about 200 films. Yes. The female um, Sam Kidd, Victor Madden. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Ella say the chair recognises the bird in the front. <laughs> I think this scene is the most Bolting Brothers scene because it's a little just it, to me anyway. It just the, the the satire is slightly heavy-handed, and, and by, what I mean by that is because it's 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 meant to, it's conducted like a trade union meeting or conference. Yeah. And you've got that very bolshy, what is he, a self-employed pickpocket who's not, he's non-affiliated yes. with the syndicate. But he's sort of, at one point he's shouting, I will have my say or something like that. Yeah, it's, yes. It is, um, I mean, it's, it's very it's, it's very different, that scene, to the rest of the film. Yeah. It is completely different. I think if you if you took that scene out of the film, and you showed that scene to somebody, they probably, I mean, if, they, they're not, if they've never seen Wrong Arm of the Law, I don't think you would know that that is from that, you know, this particular film. You might, as you say, go with a Bolting mm. uh, Brothers film instead. Mm-hmm. And, and Dennis Price is just uh, perfect as well. He is. Right now, who's going to be the delegate? I suggest educated. 
It was his idea, and he's got all the posh chat. I'm afraid I must decline. It might be a little awkward. I'm in the middle of completing the sale of some Van Goghs. Well, that is to say, the transfer of the Van Goghs from one place to another. At the moment. <laughs> Uh, the chair recognises um, the bird on the front row. And, so, of course, you move from that scene to the first meeting between Pearlie and uh, Nosy Parker. And um, I love the fact when Nosy Parker's told that uh, Charles Jules is in his office, he says, you put a foreigner in my office, my secret files are in there. <laughs> I haven't got any friends, French or English. He's probably stinking the place out with those French fags, <laughs> which then, while I was watching that part, I thought, ah, I know who uh, Nosy Parker would have voted for in, for Brexit. That's quite oh, obvious. Yes. Mm. And then, of course, they have that duologue where, he, where they keep using the word, he keeps using the word frocks. Yes. I've always, this, this scene, is it, is it me? Is it my imagination or does, does, does Sellers slightly miss a beat when he's when he says that bit about um i don't carry loose change it, it, it's delivered slightly clumsily i feel and I, and I just did you pick up on that i've always um, thought well, that. i picked up on the thing i picked up on in this scene is quite early on i think it's when sellers is sitting in the chair i think his accent is different Right. It's not so London is Pearly Gates. The first part of a sentence, it sounds more like Peter Sellers. Oh, okay. I didn't There's just a, just a little bit. And I just think, and every time I've watched it, I've um, just picked up on that. I'll um, go back and watch that. Because, hmm. of course, he's going, he, you know, if you think about it, he's, 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 in that, in this particular scene, he's flitting from um, Charles Jules to Pearly, you know, Pearly Gates, and then yeah. stays with Pearly Gates. Um, the whole thing about, you know, what's he say to him? I sell, I do not sell women's frocks in the West End. I sell gowns, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he, he then he says, because then he also says, I made a hundred, hundred was a hundred sixty odd thousand knicker selling frocks, and then he. Corrects himself, going gowns. I mean. <laughs> but when, when, and, and I loved Jeffrey's. So when he thinks that he's he's going to bring in, he's going to interview him, and he's going to confess, you know, because he's like he thinks, oh, you're bribing a police officer. And when he realizes that he has Pearly has information about the gangs that are going on, it's just the way he, Lionel Jeffries delivers that line. Without missing a beat, send in a nice pot of tea and a couple of fairy cakes. Yes, it's yes. it's just seamless. It's seamless, but um, but the and, two and, and Pearl and Pearly paints this picture for for Parker that you know he will be all the credit for catching the IPO mob will fall on on Nosy. Yes, and he says he says picture you know think of the headlines Parker of the Yard smashes crime ring, and you just see you just see Jeffrey's face just lighting up. Because that's all, I mean, it's, he is all out for his own game. Yeah. Um, Nosy Parker throughout. Um, so they, they decide that they're going to um, set up 
some kind of meeting. Once again, and, uh, once again, there's another um, kissing, another kissing scene with the net Newman and uh, Sellers um, when she's come out of the shower, and um, it's wonderful when Sellers is just holding the uh, telephone in his hand while kissing her at the same time while having a conversation with Nosy on the other end. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and he says something like, you've got a tap running there or something yeah. and then of course that brings us to Battersea Park mm. um, neutral for, ground yeah neutral ground where Nosy has to pay for the taxis that all the police turn up in um, that reminded me of the taxis the amount of bodies coming out of the taxis reminded me of uh, towards the end of the Ealing film Hue and Cry where all the uh, Harry Fowler and all the other kids oh, yes. driving yes. out of the one taxi. Yeah. Um, and then um, he has to pay for the entrance fee for all the policemen <laughs> as well. And then you have the contrasting scores. Um, so you have Pearly and Nervous um, and a wonderful walk from Sellers um, mm. to Erling. I think he's, 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 oh, it must be his car keys. And he's got a great walk, Sellers. And you have that jazz music um, for them. And then, of course, it changes when you, you cut to the police walking and they've got this sort of slow dirge as they're walking along with John the Mesre um, at the head um, of, of the police. Um, so it's beautifully set up, these contrasting. And then, of course, they all descend like children um, onto the carousel. <laughs> and... Um, there's that lovely little ex exchange between Lionel Jeffries and John the Mesere where um, he's, he's fawning all over John the Mesere. He says, he says to him, oh, it's all right. I've read one of these before. And he says, oh, was it the cavalry, sir? The blues, the hussars? And he says, no, the Metropolitan Police, if you must know. And then, of course, he says, these are, these are very, these are fun. He says something on the lines, these are rather fun. The children would love it. And then he, and then John the Mayor is, starts going, pom, 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 pom. And you think, yeah, you're being, a, you're, you're regressing to your childhood now. And he is absolutely loving being on the carousel. The whole time he's at the fun fair, he's loving every moment that yeah. takes him away from being a policeman. And of course, when you see Pearly and Nervous, on the carousel, they're playing sort of like cops and robbers pretending to shoot each other, which does have that wonderful line of because the carousel's going round. And uh, Sellers, as Pearly says, a load of bogeys going round in circles did appeal to me. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, they go on the Big Dipper, and uh, where you have nervous, looking particularly nervous. And it's just beautifully set up, isn't it? The flume ride. It's <laughs> you can see it coming from you can see it halfway down the street, couldn't you? Yes. Um, <laughs> so of course you now have the twenty-four hour truce. Yes. Yeah, because it was it ninety-eight percent of all crime that's committed in the city is pretty much the down to the syndicate. Yes. Mm. And you have all the policemen sitting around in the phone room with no phones ringing. The lovely touch of one of the policemen reading a magazine of comic of Car 54, Where Are You? Yeah, yeah. Which, of course, was very popular at that time in the 60s. I think there's another policeman filling out his football um, coupon. I think the film changes at this point because you have that sort of montage of different car park signs. Mm. It, can, it becomes, it actually becomes. Um, like it's a sort of a cross between the Lavender Hill mob 
and um, oh, um, oh, I can't remember the title of the film. Why does it escape my mind? The Blue Lamp. All right. Another evening film. So yeah. that sequence where the, you're showing police checking things, stopping things, all the different times, it becomes quite a serious police drama at that point. And, and also when you see the two policemen in the car park and he goes and he opens the car and he realises that this is the IPO's car and the little exchange with the uh, garage attendant is very much like a police drama. It's mm. quite serious. Yeah at this point but, but luckily very soon after there's a little bit of light relief with uh, an uncredited dick emery this is one of my favorite exchanges in in the entire film it, <laughs> um so yes dick Emery. so bill kerr ed Devereux, reg lie um so bill kerr they're dressed as police and they tell i don't know they tell lionel jeffries and the rest of the police that uh the gang's in room 307. And then, of course, they make their getaway in, in Nosy Parker's car. And they go up to three o, flat 307 and break in to, to it. And there's um, Dick Dick Emery caught, um, shall we say, on the job. On the job. All right, the game's up. That's the end of your little luck. I haven't done anything yet. Don't give me that. We know all about you. Every policeman in London's been looking for you. I didn't even know it was illegal. Illegal? I've known people to get 12 years for less than what you've done. Where are the others? Others? Well, we know you're not on your own. Well, of course I'm not on my own. You can't do this sort of thing on your own. I do feel I do feel for the actress playing that role. She has a couple of shots early on and then just sort of forgotten about. Yes. I think she doesn't have any lines too. Well, she had Dick Emery on top of her for <laughs> half an hour, I suppose. Does she get to say, I think she says, is it your wife or something? Yes. Yeah. It's just a lovely little exchange. <laughs> <laughs> Which really has nothing to do with the plot. <laughs> no, but I think, like you say, because it had gone quite serious, if it had maybe, you know, four or five minutes of not a lot of gags, maybe they felt they just had to lighten it up a little bit. And then, of course, he wanders off saying everything. Why does everything have to go against me? You know, why does everything have to go against me? Go against me. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, of course... The 24-hour truce is lifted, and as soon as it's lifted... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> every phone in the police station is uh, is ringing. Red uh, hot. And then, of course, the lovely little touch that the um, nosy's car is returned. They found it, but it's, um, they found it in the um, John Lemaire's commissioner's reservation. <laughs> yeah, it's Scotland Yard, wasn't it? It's Scotland. Yeah. Um. But then, of course, so so that's a fa- that that plan that was devised by Parker was a failure. Yeah. But he comes up with an even better plan, which yeah. sim- simply cannot fail to stage a bullion van robbery. So they ha- they have a meeting on an so they have the meeting on the aeroplane. Mm. Um, I, I one of it when he when Sellers makes him repeat, and then I'll but he says as Parker I'll pounce. He says you're what. <laughs> I'll pounce. Um, and then and then of course he he's now on the payroll. So Nosy becomes is now on the payroll of Pearlie. Yeah. And um he turns doesn't he turn up in disguise with hair and a moustache. I love that. Because do you know what I love about that? Is he's 
I think in sort of any other film of this period, the character that Jeffries plays would be completely oblivious to how ridiculous he looks. But he he knows even before he walks in the door how ridiculous he looks because it just takes a negative reaction from Pearly Gates for him to sort of take the wig off with a resigned sigh and abandon it completely, the disguise. Because he said that the sky, because he kind of sort of says, oh, my disguise is so good that I walk through the whole of the police building and not one constable salute, saluted me. And Purdy says, as usual. Yes. Yeah. Really that- then he just says, you don't like it, do you? No. <laughs> just whips it, off. whips it off. And then, of course, we were introduced to um, um, Siggy Schmaltz, mm. Tutti Lemko. Um, yes. He'll be known, of course, for being in Shot in the Dark, The Wrong Box. Um, and, of course, as, as, as Nosy would say, proving that we know who Nosy would vote for in Brexit, from, as he say, he calls him a Bosch, doesn't Bosch. he? Mm-hmm. Can't we have a British lad doing the job? Or um, and then, But I love it that Purdy says, oh, for God's sake, stop the flag waving. <laughs> yeah. And I love the fact that he's now decided that... Um, you know, because he's now one of the gangsters, he's now a crook. He wants to be known as Big Time Parker. Big Time, <laughs> Big time Parker. Oh. He's, tw- he's 20 years out of date, really, isn't he? Yes. And a useless piece of information. Hmm. So he he uses the money to set himself up in a swanky apartment, decadence, which is Dorset House. There's an exterior shot, which is on Gloucester Place in Marlborough which is the same building where in the flats from 1942 to about 1947, Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger put together their films such as Life and Death of Colonel Blue, Battle of Life and Death, Black Narcissus, and even started the Red Shoes there as well. There's a blue plaque. Bloody hell. On there. Cinema history. That's where Nosey Nosey, uh, decided that he would become um, the best (laughs) criminal. Um, and then, of course, we come to the um, denouement, the uh, the robbery, the actual final robbery. Okay, just yeah. So we we get we see quite a bit of Ziggy Schmaltz. Yes, but it's obviously Sellers doing the voice. Yes, is it? Yes, definitely. Now, I'm trying to think when I've seen um, Toot. It is Toot, isn't it? Yeah, uh, when I've seen him in other things, I'm trying to think of his normal speaking voice. Was he not capable of doing a German accent? Shot in the dark, he doesn't speak, does he? No, he gets he gets he's the, the Cossack dancer. He gets his blowpipe, doesn't he, in the neck, doesn't he? Yes. That at one be... point, at one point, uh, Sellers is talking to himself. Literally. Yes, he must have been. Obviously, when they redubbed the film, he must have been. You know, it must be very odd looking at yourself doing a completely different voice to. Somebody who's not you, but mm. um, but then that sellers all over, isn't it? Look, please, let us get out of this now. You be good boys and let Siggy go home to his fatherland. Listen, Siggy, you've been paid your Deutsche marks to open the security van and you're going to do it. Now then, what's the German for belt up? Yeah, of course, our old friend um, Mario Fabrizzi arrives in this sequence. <laughs> he, he gets more to do than he normally does. Yes. Mario, which is nice. I love it when Sellers, it doesn't Sellers say to him, um, very convincing, he says, very convincing, very convincing. He says, can't you put your hands up on something as well? And he does. 
you have also arriving, so you have John Lemaire um, and the rest of the police, and John Lemaire is in the ice cream van, and that that, that little boy um, it goes for an ice cream and then says, "Why are all these coppers here?" Because <laughs> <laughs> of course that's what twigs it for Nanette Newman, isn't it? Because they've all they, they're wearing policeman boots and one yeah. Of them. That's a bit of a stretch, I felt. But yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll run with it. Speaking of little boys, I absolutely adored the scene with Nervous O'Toole, who's observing it with, with his, his Kevin. lads. Kevin. And, his, and his son's with him. And he's, and he's indulging his son and he's being, you know, patting him on the head or whatever. And then he says, where's my watch gone? You thieving little nit. Yes. <laughs> and it happens, and it happens again. It? Yeah. it happens again. Can I mention the Aston Martin? Yes. I know the time, I mean, you can cut me off, but I really, so the Aston Martin, um, which is a um, DB4 GT for you car enthusiasts out there, the high speed driving throughout the film, obviously Sellers could have done it, but um, for insurance purposes, they wouldn't have allowed him. He, um, the, it's, the driving is done by a gentleman called, um, Ken Rudd, who um, had a dealership in Worthing, and he brought the Aston Martin up to the up to the location. But this is all filmed um, around Uxbridge. Uh, these sequences, a lot of them, um, mainly a lot of the bank robberies we saw earlier on, they've sort of shot around um, Beaconsfield. But yeah. um, so he brought the car up, and he was also given a role as one of the crooks um, in the film as well, just as an extra, right. and. Um, so he is he's also the one driving when you see the, the Aston Martin come over um the humpback bridge. Oh yeah. That was a wonderful shot. It wasn't it, yeah. Um so that's him driving that as well. And of course, as we know, Sellers loved his cars, Jaguars, yeah. mini cars, everything, uh, Bentleys, Rolls Royces. Um, but Sellers, so this Sellers bought this car um during the wrong arm of the law. Um he did have a tendency, I gather, just like all his other gadgets, that he would take a car from the dealers and then one or two days later he would hand it back to the dealers, which I gave I gather Spike Millican quipped he called um, Peter Sellers' cars his metal underwear. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so obviously Sellers had the car for quite a number of years and then it was sold on um, to a member of the Aston Martin Club, etc., etc. But uh, amazingly... Only two weeks ago, this Aston Martin was part of the Goodwood Festival of Speed in Chichester in Sussex on the 13th of July. On the day after, on the 14th of July, it went for sale, it went up for sale at Bonhams and it was expected to sell for 2.6 million pounds. Wow. And I looked again today to see, I went on went on Bonhams to see everything, you know, where they tell you what everything you know what's sold and it still didn't say if it had been sold or not but it was being sold as peter seller's car wrong arm of the law wow 2.6 million they were expecting it's a nice car as well i'm not a car enthusiast but i could recognize that that was a nice looking car yeah yeah so um the robbery well the, yeah i think it's kind of the the robbery happens and then we've got this misunderstanding, uh, mistaken identity punch up between the between the real police and the real police. If you can yes. follow me, um, the punch ups 
I might add. Um, I do love those close-ups of the faces being hit. Yes. Um, it did remind me, um, it was very Eisenstein. I just thought I'd throw that in. Oh. It was very Get Eisenstein. <laughs> I can't imagine, I don't know if Cliff Owen was a big fan of Eisenstein, but uh, it, did, it did have that sort of did, would he Would he have brought that to bear on Who You Are Awful, do you think? No. Can I go now? <laughs> I, do, I think we should just leave it at that. I think, <laughs> I think everyone should just go away, watch the film, and they can see what happens at the end themselves. <laughs> yeah. Go off and watch Who You Are Awful and try and determine if there's any Eisenstein influence. Now, what do you think of the ending? I like it, actually. It's got yeah. a great payoff line. Yep. I, I I like it. it again. It's just as in a two way stretch. Criminals not allowed to profit, yes. but it's not a downer ending either, is no. it? Really? Because you do wonder if they could, you know, what success they could <laughs> find on this uh, island. Um, and yes, it's interesting. So, the, so so basically, just 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 in case people are interested. <laughs> so to just just to sum it up, what's what's happened? So so. Uh, uh, Pearly Gates has got this five, what he thinks is 500 nicker that they've stolen from a bullion van, which is part of this uh, this whole wheeze, this whole operation to lure the IPO mob out. But anyway, he's taken off with this money. He's got, he's got Nosy Parker handcuffed to him for reasons. And he manages to persuade Nosy that, um, uh, you know, leave, leave your wife and come, and <laughs> come and the... And 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 her sister and her mother and her mother yeah and and uh, let's let's jet off and uh, you know uh, live a new life somewhere else somewhere exotic not necessarily together but basically saying you know you have you have quarter of a million quid to do what you want and nosy buys into it doesn't he yes he's, he's up for it and they end up at the airfield they there's a, there's another punch up there's there's been a chase scene and and uh, they uh, sellers and uh, and Jeffries uh, they they jump onto this plane taxi off and um and uh take off and um and valerie turns up and um and then the next thing we see it's uh john lemez and um and uh, and who martin body that's right laughing because obviously you know they've they've managed to to uh, round up all these criminals they've got rid of nosy parker who'd been a pain in the backside um, because of course it was it was toy town money. It was fake money. Uh, cut to I guess what's meant to be Tahiti. And um, and Maison Jules has set up again, doing a roaring trade. Dream of Gogans. <laughs> With Nosy on the sewing machine. I don't know if my cutter will yeah. be able to handle this extraordinary order. Oi, get a move on. Half a dozen sacrificial skirts and three Dream of Gogans. State driver. Slave driver? Yeah. Listen, mate, if you want a day off for the fertility rights, you're allowed to get weaving. Do you want to mention, because we, we, we sort of uh, teased people earlier about this rather fruity line that um, yes. Pearly Gates says to Ziggy Schmaltz. Schmaltz. Do you want to say, I'll let you say it. He's, 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 he's berates Schmaltz for standing around like, quote, a spare dick at a wedding, unquote. 
which, as I say, made me double take, mm. rewind, play it again, and said, he definitely says dick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really aware of any British films at that period having a line such as that. No, it's 1962, it's, it's, no, you don't expect that. No, not at all. I mean, even the carry-ons hadn't even... Uh, oh, no. no. I don't oh, think no. like that at that point. No. But uh, a, a thoroughly enjoyable film. Oh, and, and it, uh, it is from, from beginning to end. And there's every performance is spot on. Everyone is cast perfectly. And um, in a way, it's a, it's a shame that Sellers didn't make more, you know, not not, you know, criminal films, that type of film, but more... British comedies. Capers. Yes. Mm. But of course, British comedy films were changing, you know, in the 60s. Your mate, your friends, the Beatles were about to, uh, and you know, and everything, everything shifted. Well, at least the following year, John Junkin gets a a screen credit for Hard Day's Night. Yes, he does. Yes. (laughs) I always, I always want to just, you know, get hold of a copy and John put John Junkin's name on. (laughs) Because he does appear he, uh, throughout, sort of behind Pearly. Yeah. Behind Pearly at the syndicate scene and other scenes where, you know, he's giving pieces of information to Pearly. Um, but, uh, yes. It's, it, is, it, is, it, is a, it is a what a, a perfect... And then going back to Roger Lewis, to see Peter Sellers for the first time uh, written two-way stretch on the wrong arm of the law... In a way, does it get any better than that? No. There's an introduction to Peter Sellers? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Pure Sellers, distilled Sellers. Yes. Yeah. Okay, well, we have been talking about a film, and it's been a great film. It's been a great conversation. I, I wasn't expecting this much, this amount of detail, and I'm, but I'm glad of it, because my notes were a bit sparse. <laughs> so I'm glad, I'm glad that you came prepared. <laughs> No, I um, I was given everything from um, somebody's been feeding me all the lines the whole time. <laughs> um, I, haven't, I haven't even watched the film. No, no. it was Peter Sellers. <laughs> um, can I just um, just do a formal outro, if you know what I mean? Will it be as Will it be as um, wonderful as your intro? No, no. are you going to keep in the um um i think i'll have to actually i think it's fine yeah i'll just do the screaming ad dabs bit again yes i'm going to be quiet i promise you here we go i'm going to be quiet now right i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna formally bring this podcast episode to an end and um i want to thank graham for being tremendous guest and um, he, he's promised to come back next year and talk about another film, TBC. Um, so, yeah, Graham, thank you so much and um, all the best. And um, best don't, don't get the screaming ad dabs. Nearly. I managed it that time. Nearly. Nearly there. Nearly Just there. The, uh, point, but, uh, keep yeah. working on it. I will. Thanks, Graham. You're, it's been a blast as always. That partner gives you the screaming at